just a moment, we'll be reading together from the 15th chapter of the book of Luke. In the 15th chapter, uh, Christ uh, gives three back-to-back-to-back parables, all dealing with much the same thing. Uh, The first is the parable of the lost sheep, followed by the parable of the lost coin, and then uh, our focus for this evening, the parable of the lost son. And all of these reflect the goodness of God in taking back those who've wandered away and the rejoicing in those coming home. The difference is uh, it's, it's frustrating to lose money. We've all been there. And uh, if it's a matter of livelihood, like uh, the sheep that's lost, uh, that can be exasperating. But there's nothing quite as heart-wrenching as losing a loved one, losing a family member, losing a son or daughter. And that's why this last parable is especially poignant and uh, speaks to all of us about some things that we need to keep in mind. And so we read together beginning at uh, the 11th verse of Luke chapter 15. And he, Jesus, said... A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, And he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant, and he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. 
Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I, I never transgress your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came and has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, this parable has so much in it, we have not time to deal with all of it this evening, but it is of interest that there are three different perspectives really to look at this parable from. The first from the perspective of the young boy who left home. Uh, the other from the perspective of the elder brother uh, who was so bitter at his return. And then from the vantage point of uh, the father. And usually we put much focus on the first, the young boy who left home, whom we've come to call prodigal. The old King James didn't use that word, the new King James does. It simply means wasteful. And the young boy wasted more than just his substance in riotous living. He wasted more than just what his father had given him by way of money. He wasted his place at his father's side. He wasted his opportunities. He wasted his relationship with his family and his father. He wasted time in the far country. He was very prodigal or wasteful in everything he does. The Older brother, he can be described as resentful. He seems to be resentful of, of his brother taking the money and leaving home. Resentful of his, his father being so welcoming and forgiving of him coming home. And seems by his language resentful of his very place in the family at all. He says, this your son, not even saying this my brother. But I think it's especially interesting to look at this from the perspective of the father. Because whereas the younger brother can be described as wasteful or prodigal in everything he does, and the older brother can be described as resentful in everything that he says and does, the father can be seen as so very generous in everything he he does and says toward both boys. Now we call it in this country the parable of the prodigal son. You go across the pond and you'll find people in other countries call it different things. In uh, some parts of the world they call it the parable of the loving father. And you uh, see a clear picture of God's love in that story. But I think one step back from that even more than that you see the generosity of the father. He's uh, generous in, in, in sharing what he has, the best of what he has, the provisions he has with, with both boys. And it's clear that the best of what the father has to offer is himself. There's something about being home with the father. There are blessings unique to that situation. So much so, the young boy wants to come home to have those blessings. 
But before it all gets uh, to a bad point in the story, that young boy asks his father, give me my portion of the inheritance. And the father generously doesn't push back, doesn't call lawyers in, doesn't refuse. He gives the boys their inheritance. That's the kind of God we serve. It's interesting that even those who are so cynical about religion and so skeptical and, and uh, repugnant in their attitude toward God have to breathe the air he generously offers all of us and drink the water he so liberally gives to all of us and enjoy the many physical blessings this world is so fraught with all the while blaspheming the very God who gives it. Uh, you see, uh, there's a sense in which in this life we cannot get away. We cannot remove ourselves from uh, the myriad blessings of God. Life depends upon these blessings. Our survival in this life depends upon those blessings. I suppose you could just stop drinking, stop eating, and cut yourself off from air and have a few seconds, you might say, of freedom from God until you leave this life in death. But as long as you live here, you're going to have to accept the fact, or it's true regardless of your acceptance, that God's blessings are ever available to all of us. But just as in the story, his, his best blessings, his spiritual blessings, we might say, in the place of God, are unique to us through Christ in him, in his presence, in his fellowship. Uh, we enjoy the air, the water, the uh, food, the blessings of this life, just like the rest of the world enjoys these things. But we in Christ have special relationship with the Father, not because we deserve it, because Christ provides it. And we have these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 1 verse 3, which are beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension. Uh, they're blessings that sometimes we sadly take almost for granted. The help and providence we have of the Lord here, the guidance of his word, the hope we have of heaven past this life, the forgiveness of sins, the peace of heart and mind that comes from all of this, the rich fellowship we have as Christians together in Christ. God has always been generous with his blessings, both physically for everybody and spiritually for those of us in Christ, holding nothing back that we need. Now, Peter says in 2 Peter 1, the first chapter, that he's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In James chapter 1, we read that God, he gives to men all, all things that are good and right, because that's the kind of God he is. He gives to all men liberally and, and abrades not. And so, yes, uh, this is a parable that shows us the generosity of God in his substance, in his provisions. But there's something sometimes we miss here, and that's the second thing God is generous with in the story and it speaks to the Father in the story and the God that is really spoken of through the story. He's generous with his 
his release of control. The boy wants his money. The father gives it to him. The father allows him to leave. Do you think the father had the, 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 the strength by himself or through his servants to keep the boy home if he had chosen to keep him there? Of course he could have kept him there. He could have tied him up and put him back in the barn. He could have shackled him to a post in the front yard, but he allows the boy to leave. And you might say, well, that's a bad idea. Well, of course, it turns out bad for the young man uh, in the short term. It could have turned out much worse in the longer term. But what the parable shows is that God allows us to make our own choices, even poor ones. Uh, God is generous in that sense. Uh, sometimes uh, the church of our Lord is described by those who are somewhat disdainful of, of her as being a cult. Maybe you've heard somebody talk about the churches as a cult, and those who are involved, they're just cultists. One aspect of a cult is it's almost impossible to get out. Uh, you just uh, look at any cult you want to look at, and that's one of their main characteristics. Easy to get into, but uh, hard to get out of. Uh, that does not describe the church at all does not describe God's people at all. God's always been very generous in speaking truth to us but allowing us to make our own choices, good ones to our benefit or terrible ones to our detriment. But the choice is always ours. He's never kept us against our will. And the wonderful thing about discipleship is that we know and he knows if we're one of his and we're following his son, we do so because we've chosen to, not because we've been forced into it. We serve him because we so choose, not because we're some kind of conscripted slave. We make the choice. And Jesus says, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me in Matthew 16. And put your finger on that word if because it's so important if any man come after me you don't have to it's your choice come unto me all you that labor or heavy laden I'll give you rest Jesus says in the last part of Matthew chapter 11 but you can say no I'd just soon not it's your choice God brings no one to him against their will he keeps no one by his side against their will. We can come and go as we so choose. There are consequences, yes, but the decision is always ours. And the story shows that. The father is generous with his control over the boys themselves. But then third, and this is where we put the most of the focus usually, he's so very generous with his forgiveness. Aren't you glad in the story the father's more like the father of the story and less like some of us? In fact, most of us would be somewhere between the father and the older brother. Uh, 
leaning more towards the older brother and less toward the father. So you finally found your way back home, did you? I thought you'd be crawling back here one day. What a mess you've gotten into, how you've messed up. The boy already knows that. He doesn't need to be reminded of it. That's the reason he's coming back. So I'm going to put you under a six-month probationary period here. And yes, you will be the lowest of the servants until you prove yourself worthy of being. No, that's not what the father's like at all. In fact, the language used is telling. He sees him yet afar off, which suggests that he's been looking for him. And wouldn't you? Now, you might say, well, why didn't the father just go off to the far country and drag that boy back home? Because if he hadn't chosen to do so, if it was against his will, what's the point? What's the point? Allow me to go one step off the subject for a second to something that has always interested me, and that is uh, people in a relationship who have the other person in the relationship wanting to leave, choosing to leave, wanting to do something they shouldn't and break away and move away and move off. And the idea is somehow we need to make them stay. Well, I think people should stay. <laughs> I think families should be together. I think husbands and wives and even those in love, if they can, should stay together. But I'm telling you this, you keep somebody in your life against their will uh, you've got a tiger by the tail and problems down the road. If you take the decision people have of their own away from them and force them into anything, it seldom works out. The trouble is people make bad decisions, ruin their own lives, ruin those lives around them, tear up families, ruin relationships, tear up churches. That's all true. But all that being said, we still have the right to make those choices. And so, yes, the father could have dragged the boy back home and said, you'll stay here this time. But he doesn't. Because the boy wouldn't have really come home. He would have been forced home. And there's a difference. But the father sees him a long way off. And apparently he's been looking for him by the fact he sees him far off, he, he runs and meets the boy, he hugs him and gives him the best what he has, the best robe, the ring, the fatted calf, everything is, but first the boy does have to say his piece, reflecting his heart of contrition and repentance, which the father listens to and lovingly accepts and completely forgives. And it's if it never had happened. And that's the way sin is from God's perspective with us. And once it's dealt with, it's, it's gone. We might harbor the guilt down the road, but God lets it go if we do it on his terms, in his way. God erases the debt. He expunges the record. He removes the sin from our lives. Because he's generous in his forgiveness with us, just as the father was with his son in the story. 
And so you have a wonderful wastefulness in the young son, a terrible resentment in the older brother, but a tremendous level of generosity all the way through the story with the father. Now, I, I, I always, when I get to this point in dealing with this parable, have to have to bring up something that happened years ago when I was uh, just a young boy at Miami. And before Sunday evening services for a few years, we had a young people's class. At that time, we had maybe 25, 30 young people that would come in on Sunday evening before services. What wonderful times those were. And uh, my father taught the little class before services there in one of the uh, rooms off the auditorium. And this parable was uh, the subject for that evening. And one of the young men in, in class raised his hand after everything was said and said, I've got a question. He said, what is it? Uh, and uh, the young man said, well, it seems to me like uh, like the prodigal had it, uh, he, he had the best of all worlds. Why wouldn't we all want to be a prodigal? He gets to take the money. He gets to go and waste it like he wants to. He can have this lavish uh, lifestyle in the far country, and he can still come back, and he can still be forgiven. Why shouldn't we all be prodigals like that? And I remember what my dad told him. And he didn't say then what he came to learn more so later. But he said, he said, young man, most prodigals don't come home. And that's the sad part of the story because it's so very true. Most prodigals don't come home. But the good news is any of them, all of them can. Because God is a generous father with his forgiveness. We should be generous in our acceptance. God is a generous God. At the end of Psalm 100, remember the psalmist says in that Thanksgiving psalm, God is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. That's the kind of God we serve. And we do better to reflect his nature in all of this. Well, my friend, this evening, if you are a prodigal, come home. Please come home. If you know prodigals, encourage them to come home. There's always a place at the Father's table. Uh, one of the most important parts of the whole story is that small time that means everything with a young man comes to himself. And if you haven't yet and you're away from the Father, uh, come to yourself and remember what you've left. We hope those who have will come to themselves and remember what they've left and enjoy the Father's forgiveness. If you need to come this evening, come now as together we stand and sing.